This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What a lovely pair of lungs Herman has. It's chappy, keep calm and cauliflower cheese. It's episode 103. Episode 103, keep calm and cauliflower cheese. It's a sort of Mambo Italiano special today. It's England versus Italy on Sunday at Wembley. Could England bring back the main prize that they haven't been able to win since the 1966 World Cup, so 55 years? Okay, chaps and chapesses, gird your loins. It's a big one. It's the final of the Euro Championships, Italy versus England. So, it's been a <laughs> one hell of a week. It's been a very interesting week. A week where I've got progressively tired during the course of it. Um, you know, I'm trying to move Chappie Towers to a, a smaller location, less turrets. Um, and uh, so I've got all that going on. Yeah, I'm trying to do my usual sort of butler duties this week. You know, not burn myself with the iron, make sure the uh, the, the teapot's uh, kept warm for master. Uh, so, so I mean, it's it's been a it's been in in essence a, a a very very busy week. And then I decided to go down to the British Bulldog Pub on uh, on Wednesday afternoon. Now. Part of me thought, well, you know, I've watched the other games whilst uh, working or on a long lunch, and uh, whilst doing my uh, whilst my doing my sort of manservant duties. So I thought that maybe I should do the same. As I said to you, people are very weird. You know, some people are wearing old football shirts. Some people are uh, travelling 66 mile an hour wherever they're going. You know, some people are bringing out tea sets they last used in 1966. Um, for me, I do have my... It almost looks like a tablecloth. That's how big the damn thing is. It's, it's, it's a shirt that's checkered, red and white. It's Ralph Lauren. And uh, I haven't washed it for many a moon. I can't remember if I washed it since the last semi-finals England reached in the World Cup before. Don't know if I should be telling this, because nobody will want to hang out with me, because it's really uh, bound together with the blood, sweat, and tears of the 55 years that England haven't won anything. Uh, it really is. There's a lot of salt in there from the tears and the blood and the sweat, and that's the only thing that's holding this uh, rather ramshackled rag together. But I'm going to keep wearing it. It has to be tucked in. It's got a hole at the bottom. I mean, if anybody gets too close to me and, 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 and sort of 
gets hold of one of the threads, I think the whole house of cards could become unraveled. And there I'll be shirtless, uh, showing off uh, Tom Selleck chest rug. Maybe I, I'm thinking maybe I should paint the St. George's cross just in case somebody catches the thread of the shirt and it comes uh, comes away and uh, de-threads and falls onto the floor. Maybe the St. George's flag under the shirt could be the way forward. I'm thinking about it, certainly. But it's a random time. It's, it's, it's a very bizarre type of week. Um, it was great at the British Bulldog. Uh, we'll be playing a few audio clips from the Bulldog the other day. Uh, some sort of altitude. It's coming home. It's coming home. And uh, God Save the Queen, which was uh, which was absolutely marvellous as well to hear that. Uh, so I'm going to try it again. May may take uh, the daughters along as well. Uh, they may need to uh, have uh, old-fashioned World War One helmets, potentially, because of the crowd. Uh, not because of the Italians. I don't know how many Italians will be there. There was about two or three Danish uh, Danish supporters who left rather quickly, but they were very, very polite, very, very nice, and everybody was uh, was good. There was no booing of the national anthems. I know that's been going on as well, and I absolutely hate the booing of the national anthems. Please don't do that. Have respect for the national anthem of your nation. And... Uh, so that's really it. But I, I did find another old, my, one of my old boarding school uh, polo shirts. Now, this must have been bought in recent times because if I wore one of my old uh, polo shirts from 1995, it would be the Britney Spears uh, tummy shirt, basically. The crop shirt. All my, my, my stomach would be a resplendent uh, sort of man bod, flamtastic, and... You know the moves would be prominent. It would be uh, it would be a Britney Spears situation, uh, but uh, they would. I think people would release me from wearing that shirt. Though they won't release poor Britney, but they would release me from wearing that shirt because it's an abomination of human nature. If I had to wear one of those, but this is a bigger shirt with the grasshopper crest on from boarding school, and it sort of fits quite well. I mean, after the beers and uh, curry and everything else from the other day I thought I wouldn't be able to squeeze into this beauty but there we go attritionally I'm squeezing into the old boarding school shirt and the picnic tablecloth shirt will come out one last time on Sunday against the Italians So today we have famous English football chants and phrases in Italian. Sta tornando a casa. Sta tornando a casa. Il calcio sta tornando a casa. Nando a casa. Sta tornando a casa. Il calcio sta tornando a casa. Il 
So will it be the final great escape for England? <laughs> I keep saying this every time. They're playing brilliant football. It's not a great escape. It's not as attritional as a great escape would be. But let's see. We'll say it one more time and see what happens. Keep calm and cauliflower cheese. It's Chappie here. We had a little episode earlier in the week uh, against the Danish. And uh, they turned out they weren't flaky. They're actually probably pretty stale, firm, hard as nails. Not the sort of pastry that melts in your mouth. And it took uh, 120 minutes for uh, the Danes to finally melt in England's mouths and the flakes of pastry to fall off. But they showed some heart. And, you know, between dodgy penalty kicks, lasers being pointed in the goalkeeper's eyes. I mean, it was quite controversial. But England did come out on top. And, uh, and there they, they go to the final on uh, Sunday with Italy. So it's a little bit different Keep Coming Cauliflower Cheese. We're, uh, we're pushing Trumbull Trombone to one side, along with uh, enigmatic uh, English eccentrics. That's for another time. But today, down there, care made easy. Something I saw that the AIL sent to me, uh, which was, uh, to say the least, quite, uh, quite fascinating. Of course, the whole social dilemma thing. The AILs do target me quite readily. Um, we might be talking about Americans and fireworks today. Uh, also, um, it was National Fried Chicken Day, but there's also another national day that we'll be uh, discussing as well. But really, very much, uh, we're going to be trying to distract and dissuade the Italians from winning on Sunday. We'll do that however we can. Would it be the Bucatini shortage? Would it be a type of pizza that we might send to their, uh, to their dressing rooms and to their hotels? I mean, it's entirely possible. Um, but that is the, that is the, the whole uh, emporium of today's show. Now, we do have the Butler's Emporium musical edition as well. If you like a little bit of music with your chappy, then you have that as well. Uh, but also, uh, you know, we may be talking about uh, I laugh my head off living inside the Tower of London. There are actually rooms inside the Tower of London where you can stay uh, as well. The best toasters of 2021. Let's get very English. Toasters are very, very English. What are the best toasters of 2021? Also, Richard Branson's blasting into space. Will he have his England shirt on as he goes against Bezos uh, and also Elon Musk? Um, so we're looking at you know some Italian, typical Italian uh, uh, foods. Um, also, uh, 1966 when pints in a pipe and trips to the flicks won it for England. Uh, also, scientists reveal the best way to eat a chocolate digestive. These are essential things. If you're watching it at home and you're dunking your biscuit, your cookie, in your tea, then what are the best ways to do that? Uh, also, could the hospital readmit new statue that was turned away 50 years ago? You know, that's around the time England won last time. So that's the last time this new statue was seen. Also, um, a psychic banana this morning predicts the England versus Italy Euros final results. And some are saying it's Boris that won it. An Italian conspiracy theory claims the British Prime Minister Boris Johnson has helped England triumph in the Euros. Could this be some strategy, some gamesmanship? Uh, experts explore the science behind football fan behavior as well. Also, 10 common Italian stereotypes that may shock you. And also uh, 11 Italian foods that they will never eat in Italy. We're going to push this forward and see if it brings the result for the England boys today. See if they can come out triumphant. You know, a little bit of gamesmanship. You know, my father, 
uh, my dear dear Uncle Jim the Weasel. They, you know, they were on the golf course. They used to rattle their keys, rattle their tees, did whatever they can to put me off. You know, there has to be a lot of the gamesmanship, I feel, when it comes to uh, England as well uh, against Italy on Sunday. You know, what can we do? Could we thread their could we thread their shoes with uh, with bits of pasta and tie them up so they trip up? Anything to bring back the result. Un po' come sta tuo padre? Che ne dici un po' come sta tuo padre? So. 11 Italian foods that they definitely won't eat in Italy. So we're doing our best here to distract and dissuade the Italians from their best performance. And these are 11 foods that may throw them off their game. Mamma mia, does America ruin everything Italian food-wise? Italians would say so. Italy is world famous for its cuisine. From fresh fish to incredible wine, the country has the perfect recipes for delicious food. Nowadays, you can get Italian food all over the globe. But uh, did you know that what you're eating may not be the real deal? Americans in particular, and the UK, are guilty of putting major twists on Italian cuisine. And by twists, we mean completely making them up. Uh, and labeling them Italian is the worst part. In traditional American fashion, some of these dulces are heavier, uh, way salty and way larger in the portion size than the traditional Italian food. So these are 11 Italian foods you won't find in Italy. Garlic bread. If we rank the best tasting foods on the planet, garlic bread would make the list. But that's what's not to love about bread that's soaked in butter, topped with garlic and cheese. How about the fact that it's loaded with calories and spikes up your blood pressure? But the fact also it's not authentic Italian at all. The closest Italian thing is bruschetta, which means thin, thin slices with heaps of tomatoes on, not wedged pieces of bread soaked in garlic butter. Scrimp scampi, buttery pasta, fresh shellfish. What more could you ask for? Well, you can't ask for that in Italy because it doesn't exist there. This dish most likely came from the traditional Italian dish which features langoustines cooked in olive oil and herbs. Uh, America did their best but swapped out olive oil for butter and added pasta to make this a heavy calorific meal they call scrimp, uh, shrimp scampi. Marinara sauce. The marinara sauce, you might as well just pull the rug from under your feet. Marinara sauce isn't Italian. The red sauce you've been dumping on your pasta and pizza is very different from the kind of sauce you'll find on your Euro trip. Marinara sauce is tomato heavy, and while tomatoes are on our list of foods that you should eat every day, traditional Italian sauces are light on the tomato and heavy on other ingredients, uh, including olive oil and herbs. The result is a lighter dish and more delicate flavor. If you can bear to put beside your beloved marinara sauce, try ordering pasta al pomodoro or spaghetti our puttanesca to go authentic the puttanesca is the way to go love uh, love the delicate uh, bits of anchovies in there as well that's absolutely delicious italian wedding soup this is one of the less traumatizing but enormously humorous because the soup is called italian wedding soup ironically there's nothing italian about it yes the sausage has pasta but you won't find it any on any menus in the boot uh, italian wedding soup also very very high in carbs as well Italian subs, again, Italian wedding soup and Italian hoagies and subs. These are American subs, basically. They're oversized sammies packed with meat, cheese and veggies, and they do not have them in Italy. Italian dressing is another phony. 
This tangy vinaigrette is made from oil, vinegar, herbs, spices and sugar. Italians rarely dress their salads though. Pepperoni pizza cannot be ordered in Italy. Well, you can order pepperoni pizza in Italy, but you'll, you won't be brought a pie covered in salami circles. You'll be sli- served slices topped with bell peppers instead. And then you have the delicious chicken parmesan. Is a hero of comfort foods. The closest thing to chicken parmesan in Italy, though, is baked eggplant with parmesan cheese, doused with cheese and breadcrumbs. Chicken parmesan doesn't exist in Italy. No to the Italia. And then spaghetti meatballs. Spaghetti meatballs too. Uh, completely contrived by Americans. That's when you think of Italian food, you picture heaping piles of spaghetti, baseball-sized meatballs, and a blizzard of parmesan cheese on top. But it's a fantasy. It's, you're more likely to find Lady and the Tramp in Italy than meatballs and pasta. Fettuccine Alfredo as well. This creamy, cheesy pasta dish is in Little Italy, but not in Italia, in Little Italy in New York. Mozzarella sticks, fried, overly cheesy, nothing to do with Italy, but completely to do with the Americans. So if you want to put the Italians off their game, maybe we could order uh, mozzarella sticks with a side of marinara sauce. I think that would trip them up. So England versus Italy, a psychic banana on a TV show in the UK predicts Euro final results. The psychic banana has spoken and predicted the results of the Euro 2020 final. The match will take place on Sunday with England taking on Italy, but you can watch the psychic banana's predictions. I'll post it up on Instagram. The host said, are you ready everybody? Because we know so far within this competition, the banana has been 100% right. Remember, for those who have not seen the banana before, it's a dot if it's a no, it's a Y if it's a yes. So we'll ask the question, will England win the Euros, yes or no? And the banana said it's coming home. When it was spam, around, it was a Y for a yes. So the banana predicts that England will be winning and football will be coming home. The banana's never been wrong, according to the host, when it comes to predicting Euro football results. So we've got everything crossed. Cross your bananas as well. So if you want a psychic banana too, I I don't know if it has to be ripe, greenish banana, yellow banana, a speckled brown and yellow banana. I'm not too sure. Uh, But if you want to spin your banana and see if it's going to land on the yes for coming home or no, for the Italians uh, taking home the leftovers, then uh, spin the psychic banana today. So I think the 4th of July celebrations finally uh, finally got to me on uh, on Sunday and I became completely Americanized. Uh, there is a picture of me hugging a uh, 1776 4th of July uh, pillow. Uh, and also I said to my mother that I, I need to hang my pants up. Uh, in England, uh, if you say you're hanging your pants up, it's your undercrackers. It's your. Uh, it's the things that covers up the meat and two veg. Uh, it's the tighty whities. Uh, it's the boulder holsters. Um, whatever you want to call it, but it's not trousers. And that's the whole thing. I do get flummoxed between the trunk and the boot. The uh, the uh, luckily there's no knickers involved here. It's just uh, it's just pants, which in this case were trousers. But I don't think anybody. I don't think anybody hangs their undercrackers on the line. Um, 
Now, I think my grandfather back in the day, he used to hang his uh, tighty whities over the clothes horse. Now, that's not something, you know, for, for all you millennials and Gen Zs out there, a clothes horse, that's probably something that they haven't, uh, haven't ever heard of. Yeah, it's not an actual horse. It's not a, a trusty steed with your uh, undergarments hung on it. It's an erectable frame that you can hang everything on there, from your trousers to your shirts, jumpers, all of it. Uh, but I don't think they've seen a clothes horse probably since the last time England won the World Cup. I would say. Uh, but there we go. It's, it gets all very confusing. Uh, shifting between the Americanisms and the Britishisms. And it's, I tell you, it's not only confusing, but it's bloody exhausting too. So let's look back 55 years. In 1966, the last time England reached a major final, when Pints of Pipe and Trips to the Flicks won it. England's footballers earn a fortune every week. But 55 years ago, final tickets were just 10 shillings. Uh, just one of the many eye-popping changes to the beautiful game between then and now. So England preparing for the first tournament final since 55 years. The players back then earned £80 a week. That's about a, $100. And celebrated with a pint and a smoke. Now the three Lions stars are, earn up to £300,000 a week. And uh, so 55 years have heard have passed since the glorious summer of 1966. Uh, a Sunday night approaches the three lines take on Italy in their first Euro final. A lot's changed in 55 years. Uh, so the £80 a week to multi-million salaries. Players in the 1966 squad earned around £80 a week, roughly uh, £1,400 in today's money, which is less than England captain Harry Kane makes in an hour. Uh, for beating the Germans, they were given £22,000 bonus. Uh, which the players decided to split equally. The late Nobby Stars explained that the skipper Bobby Moore made the decision, we're all in this together and that's how we're going to stay. Uh, today's pay packets are eye-watering comparison. 13 of the players are paid more than £100,000 uh, a week, with Marcus Rashford Harry Kane both earning 200000 In Wembley in 1966, you could get in for 10 shillings. A ticket for the final against West Germany could be bought for as little as 10 shillings, that's 50 pence or about 75 uh, cents. Uh, adjusting the inflation, that's £8.73, about $10. They were sold from a wooden kiosk outside of Wembley. If you're lucky enough to get tickets officially for Sunday's game, you could shell out between £252 and £808 to get in. Uh, now, they may be heroes to our fans, but in 1966, squad didn't lead a luxury life. Bobby Charlton lived in a modest, detached house in Nutsford, Cheshire, with his wife and their two daughters. When they were looking for somewhere bigger, Normal went to a property auction with a maximum budget of £43,000, which was a fortune uh, back then. Captain Harry Kane and his wife and their three children are currently renting, renting a £70 million uh, pad in London, £15,000 uh, a week. Southgate's players can't afford to celebrate just yet. Short of signing, uh, singing Sweet Caroline, the crowds and posting jubilantly on social media after a semi-final win, uh, against uh, against the Danish. Uh, Bobby Charlton, Jack Charlton, when they beat Portugal, went to the pub with their mum, Sissy, and they treated themselves to a pint, a bitter, and a cheeky cigarette or two. After the final, there'll be an impromptu victory down the Edgware Road, followed by a meal at the Royal Garden, Garden Hotel in Kensington. The reception was really quite low-key, explained former striker Jimmy Greaves. And the Wags, the footballers' wives, had to dine in separate rooms in 1966. Uh, and they're kept apart as they are today uh, because of the COVID rules. 
and they also had to drive themselves to the game, to Wembley, the day of the match. Uh, then during the celebration dinner, they had to eat in separate rooms upstairs. Bobby Moore's wife, Tina, wore a silk chiffron dress and a mink stole and recalled, there was a touch of Cinderella about it, all dressed up. We had to wait hours before to go to the ball. At the end of the meal, the women presented with a bizarre gift, a pair of scissors in a box. So the AILs have yet again been busy sending me things that they think I'm going to need through Instagram, Twitter, everything else. These ads appear. And the ad that I got this week uh, come from a shaving club. And it was uh, and it was suggested, down there, care made easy. Get everything you need to look, feel and smell your best delivered right to your door. And the choice was one wipe Charlie's and a slightly dubious and dodgy swamp stop ball spray. Now, what do you do? What do you do with the ball spray? I mean, do you have to lift the old boy up and spray underneath? Uh, do you have to move the uh, move the baubles to one side and the, and spray on the Christmas spray? I mean, what do you need to do here? It's it's quite confusing to say the least uh, with your uh, <laughs> swamp stop ball spray. I mean, what if you don't have the sweaty Betty Swallocks issue? I mean, if you don't have that, will a little bit of baby powder suffice? But are, are the AILs trying to say that I am sweaty uh, below the belt? I mean, that's possibly what is being said here. And I don't know about the one white Charlies. I don't think I want to put any Charlies near my uh, nether regions, to say to say to say the least. But that is what the AILs introduced to me this week. It was the uh, Swamp Stop Ball Spray. And uh, immediately my mind thinks to Donald Trump's, one of his famous sayings about draining the swamp. I think when it comes to the ball spray, I do not want my uh, swamp drained. I am a little bit concerned about my lack of passion for pyrotechnics. They had the big firework displays. I mean, it, it did seem like uh, we're in the midst of... Uh, Israel versus Palestine the other day. There were so many fireworks going off, and it was pretty bloody awful. Uh, and it scares dogs. It scares mothers away from their uh, children, uh, chicks, uh, just hatched, you know, foxes, badgers, whatever it is. It scares them away. But these are exploding all over the shop. And I really sort of felt a little emasculated. I wasn't excited about the pyrotechnics. There was no passion for the pyrotechnics and pyromania. It seems to be something that American men love, but they also like wearing white trainers and long socks uh, and undershirts all the time. Uh, there was a lot of men out there lighting fireworks in their flammable undershirts. And I was a little bit worried about it to say, you know, wear, wear some pure cotton, which isn't flammable if you're lighting up your fireworks. That's my suggestion anyway. Um, but uh, I, I should have put the AirPods in, blocked out the sound, because they were they were blowing up behind me, in front of me, everything else. It was it felt like uh, George III, Mad King George, was being bombarded on uh, on some call Treason Day, some call Freedom Day. So we're harking back a little bit to 1966 today uh, on the Music Emporium Butler Edition on Spotify. Uh, I'm playing a couple of tracks off the Revolver Beatles album, which is one of my favorite uh, Beatles albums out there. Revolver was the seventh studio album by the English rock band The Beatles, 
Released 5th of August 1966, including the double-A side Eleanor Rigby, the album was the Beatles' final recording project before their retirement as live performers and marked the group's most overt use of studio technology to date. On, and it advanced on Rubber Soul of 1965. It also became regarded as one of the greatest, most innovative albums in the history of popular music, with recognition centred on the range of musical styles, diverse sounds and lyrical content. It was recorded between April and June 1966 and released on the 5th of August. So after the World Cup in 1966, it was uh, was released. Uh, In the United Kingdom, the album contained 14 tracks, gradually distributed to radio stations weeks before the release. Uh, In North America, Revolver was reduced to 11 songs by Capitol Records, which omitted three appearing on the June 1966 LP Yesterday and Today. The release also coincided with the Beatles' final concert tour and the controversy surrounding Lennon's remark that the band had become more popular than Jesus. Uh, Revolver surpassed Sgt. Pepper's Heart Club Band in many critics' estimation as the Beatles' best album. I mean, in some of the production techniques, they furthered the spirit of studio experimentation evident on Rubber Soul, with the Beatles increasingly involved in the production of the music. George Martin's role as the producer changed the way uh, they facilitated and collaborated uh, and the band relied on him in making the conception of the recordings they made. The Beatles had a new uh, recording engineer on the project, 19-year-old Jeff Emmerich, uh, who talked about the uh, Revolver pre-production rehearsal process. Uh, instead, the band used the studio to create each song, which was often an outline of the composition. Uh, speaking shortly before the start of the sessions, Lennon said that they had considered making the album of continuous flow of tracks without gaps to differentiate between each song. So, harking back to 1966, 55 years ago, we have some lovely tracks from the Beatles' Revolver album. So, we need to think of ways of distracting and dissuading the Italians on Sunday. And one of the things I saw in the week, and I love her to death, was an absolute abomination by Nigella Lawson, the hostess with the mostess normally. But she tried to decree a new dish. Marmite pasta. Now, let the... Australians have their Vegemite and I'll give them all the jars of Marmite as well. I know there was a shortage last year. I don't care. I'd rather scrape a toilet bowl than eat Marmite. And Nigella's Marmite pasta could be the thing that could put the Italians off their game on Sunday. So I think that we need to Uber Eats, Grubhub, Deliveroo, whatever it is, Nigella's Marmite pasta to the Italian football team just before the game. I think that would distract them. I think that would throw them off their game. I think they would be weighted down with the uh, yeasty, heavy, laden pasta that Nigella cooked. That's one idea. I also thought that we could infiltrate the Italian's London hotel and send over and put pineapple all over their pizza. I think we need to catapult pineapple-ridden pizza over the turrets of the hotel into the Italian's 
hotel rooms and put them off. Nothing puts an Italian off more than pineapple on the pizza. I think it could be the thing that allows England to bring it home. We could remind them of the Bucatini shortage. Is that still going on? That could make, you know, thick, luscious, bigger than spaghetti, thicker than spaghetti, straw-like. Bucatini was on a shortage during the pandemic last year. If you could talk to them about the Bucatini shortage and get them all so emotional, I think that could put them off their game as well. These are the things that we need to do. But I think between Nigella's Marmite, pe- Marmite pasta or Marmite pizza <laughs> or just, you know, getting a couple of cans of pineapple and just sprinkling it over their pizza. I think the boys of England could bring it home with a little bit of gentleman gamesmanship. So now on Keep Garmin Cauliflower Cheese, we have 10 common Italian stereotypes. Italians cannot live without pasta. Italians live for food, in particular pasta. Italians consume the most pasta in the world, 60 pounds a year, for every man, woman, and child in the country. Italians talk with their hands. What if you could communicate with somebody only through hand gestures? Well, in Italy, you can. Italians use hand gestures to enliven conversations, strengthen their point, and communicate on a non-verbal level. Italians are all about la familia, Family is so important to Italy that you have that you'll find many Italians live either close to their parents or in the same house. That's why I say Italian boys always live with their mums. They, they, they will not leave to get married. So a little bit of mummy's boys going on there. Italians are habitually late. Everything in Italy, Italy happens on its own timeline, including work and appointments. As a Spanish would say, it's sort of a land of manana. Italians are diehard football fans. Juventus, Milan, Inter. These are some of the famous names you'll hear thrown around. Italians take soccer very seriously. This is why I'm a little bit worried about Sunday's game. Italians love a good cappuccino. Breakfast in Italy is sacred. Unlike a typical American breakfast, eggs, bacon, toast, an authentic Italian breakfast usually includes a cornetto, similar to a croissant, so not just one cornetto, and also a cappuccino. You know what? I think if the England boys start out with a full English, if they've only got a... uh, a cornetto and a cappuccino in their stomachs i think the boys will have the strength and energy to go to extra time and penalties the england boys italians are obsessed with fashion like coffee fashions widely popular in italy and look at the, some of the famous designers prada armani versace the list goes on fair la bella figure appears nicely in all respects and fashion is a big component of that and italians aren't scared of public affection us british you know a firm handshake and all but the passion, uh, you know, the Italians are basically passionate and making out in the street. Italians love the opera, riveted by Puccini, Rossini, Bellini. Uh, Italians love the opera. Halls of people attend outdoor performances in amphitheaters every year. And Italians can't get enough of Dante's Divine Comedy. Ask any Italian to recite the Divine Comedy and chances are they'll be able to re- recite at least some, if not a substantial amount, of div- uh, Dante's Divine Comedy. Well, let's hope that the Italian's performance on Sunday isn't a classic comedic effort. So if any of the England team want to really irritate the Italians, these are the ways to piss off an Italian. Exercise your right of way. 
in Italy, there are no traffic laws, basically. And uh, if you attempt to enforce things like the speed limit, parking zones, all bets are off. Also, skip the cheek kiss. It's customary in Italy, Italian culture to greet your friends and family members. I think, the, I think the England guys just go for the firm handshake. No cheek kissing, especially during COVID. Suggest that other cultures' cuisines might be more delicious than Italian food. Not as delicious as the full English. Mess with their food. As I said earlier, pineapple on the pizza, Marmite, Nigella's Marmite pasta may be the way forward, or an extra large meatball. Keep your cards close. Don't be too passionate. Compared to people from other cultures, Italians are very curious, bordering on nosy. They have very strong opinions. With minutes of meeting you, they want to know how old you are. Do you have a boyfriend? Are you still in love with him? Once you know that, and they'll bombard you with helpful observations, such as you shouldn't be wearing that eyeshadow, your skin's breaking out a lot lately. You might be tempted to tell them to mind their own damn business, but be polite, keep your cards close to your chest, and it'll drive them crazy. Never say anything remotely negative about Italy. Certainly don't do that. I think the England boys could also, uh, when it's a free kick, make them wait. They're not very patient as well. And also, uh, north-south of Italy, same difference. Italy has 20 regions, 110 provinces, each geographically distinct and widely varied in cuisine, customs, accents. Traditionally, the north alpine industrial is considered the civilized part of Italy, with all the mess going, getting more chaotic as you travel further south. So here are some of my favorite, one favorite Italian joke and one favorite English joke. This is the Italian joke. Did you hear about the Italian chef that died? He passed away. We can alone do much. His legacy will be a piece of history. And possibly one of my favorite English jokes that I've uh, heard in a long time. What do you call a useless piece of skin on a penis? A bloke. Apparently the Italians have already thrown in the towel. They say it's Boris what won it. Italian conspiracy theory claims England will triumph in the Euros because of the Prime Minister of the UK, Boris Johnson. It wasn't Harry Kane or Raheem Sterling who helped England beat Denmark with a controversial penalty. According to a conspiracy theory in Italy, the congratulations should instead go to British Prime Minister Boris Johnson. Some Italian fans claim that UEFA, the governing body of football in Europe, favours England and is helping them win the Euro 2020 tournament because Boris Johnson intervened to block the creation of the proposed Super League, which would be an arrival to UEFA's Champions League. The disputed extra-time penalty against Denmark was proof that UEFA was on England's side, said somebody who took to social media. The theory was taken up by Gazzetta della Sport, Italy's most influential sports newspaper, said the very generous penalty which allowed Southgate's team to beat Denmark confirmed that the suspicions about the exchange of favours with Boris Johnson considered the saviour of European football after the attack on the Super League. Johnson vowed to block English football teams from competing in the new breakaway league. The president of UEFA praised the UK government saying it's impressed by their efficiency. One Italian fan tweeted, England blatantly favoured the UEFA and Seferin. They played all the games at home apart from one. They have referees on their side. Another Twitter user said England is dangerous not so much for technical reasons, but for components they play at home, the referees treat them with kid gloves, and Seferin is on their side after the Super League issue. Who knows if Boris Johnson is the secret ingredient to help England win? One thing for sure, Boris, do not wear an England shirt under your suit. 
Nobody does that. So chocolate side up or down, scientists reveal the best way to eat a chocolate digestive. So if you're dipping your biscuits or your cookies in your tea during the England game, I mean thousands of kettles will be boiled, uh, but a lot of biscuits are gonna be dunked. The chocolate digestive is a perfect stress reliever. And it claims you should pick up the biscuit with the topping on the top, but flip it over before you eat it. Scientists from Oxford University analyzed the best way to eat a biscuit cookie the english biscuit or the english cookie bringing it up to your lips chocolate side up lets brain to register the chocolate but flipping it before you eat maximizes the oral somatosensory experience he also advises chewing with your mouth open to improve the experience with their crunchy biscuit base and luxurious chocolate topping Chocolate digesters have been favorites among biscuit lovers since they were launched back in 1925, and they're very, very English. But one biscuit has been heavily debated about the biscuits. Which way up should they be eaten? Now researchers from Oxford University believe that they have settled the debate and claim that you should pick up the biscuits from the chocolate side up, but flip them over before eating them. The experts say this method allows the brain to register the chocolate coating while flipping them before eating maximizes oral somatosensory experience of the chocolate melting on the tongue. These are the elements here. Remove the biscuit from the packet at room temperature. Bring it towards your mouth with the chocolate side facing up. As you go to take a bite, turn the biscuit over so the chocolate's facing down. Take a substantial bite with the chocolate directly hitting the tongue first. If you're by yourself, eat initially with the mouth, open up the crunching of the biscuit, which makes the taste sensation more memorable. Chew slowly after the first mouthfuls to maximize the full taste experience. In this study, Oxford University food scientist, Professor Charles Spence analyzed different ways of eating chocolate digestion, including chocolate side up, chocolate side down, and with the winning flip. His findings suggested that biscuits are best enjoyed at room temperature when a substantial bite is taken, which side up of a half-coated chocolate biscuit should be eaten as a topic that's wholly debated and hotly debated, which is why we wanted to get to the bottom of the million dollar question. My research suggested that whilst there are merits of both ways, holding the biscuit side up, first to maximize the visual experience and then switching it over as the biscuit is brought towards your mouth provides the best multi-sensory experience. And if the chocolate melts on your hands and your fingers, just lap it up. Torta di carne, rotolo di salsiccia, vieni in Inghilterra, dacci un obiettivo. Torta di carne, rotolo di salsiccia, vieni in Inghilterra, dacci un obiettivo. Which means meat pie, a sausage roll. Come on, England, give us a goal. Alright, all you England supporters out there, get ready. Get your sausage rolls, get your Cornish pasties, get your chocolate digestives, lots of English tea, and pizza. Make sure there's pineapple on it. And let's all cook the Marmite pasta abomination that Nigella came up with in the week. If we all do this together, our combined spirit, our holding hands across the world in support of trying to gently put the Italians off, may bring it home for England. Apparently there's a shagging boom going on in England during the Euros. 
lots of people have decided to celebrate by having plenty of nookie. So there's going to be a lot of kids out there who are going to be named Jack and probably Gareth. So how to be like Gareth Southgate. Do you want to be a Gareth is the key. For a very long time, this country did not celebrate men like Gareth. Men who were mild, compatible, patient, sincere. It's not that there's been a shortage of him. It's just that they've been tended to shunt to the side into an unglamorous, unobtrusive role such as bicycle riding vicars or rejected regency suitors or a young lieutenant who dutifully leads his men to annihilation at the Somme. Good men, steady men, but not the sort of guys who you yearn to be yearned to be with. Perhaps that's unfair, but that's just life. But things are changing. Southgate has led England to two consecutive semi-finals in major tournaments. In a world full of uncertainty, division and inertia, the sight of a competent man in quite a nice suit actually getting shit down without demanding loads of credit is equal parts admirable and arousing. Gareth Southgate, smiley, wryly, deflecting praise, being tactically flexible, emotionally available, and using the word journey a lot. As you see him stalking the touchline and talking to his players with the same air as a secondary school teacher, who, despite button-down appearances, actually able to deliver a really well-judged, engaging talk to his class about your sexual health, your mind starts to wander. If he can get England performing consistently, well in tournaments, what else can he do? Could he help you park? Could he help you in mortal crisis? Could he help you have those difficult conversations? Is he any good with the iron? Is he great with domestic tasks? Will he put the seat down? What's he like at cooking? Will he do all the cooking for you? Could he organise a stag do or bachelor party or even a bachelorette party? Is he an expert on trivia and pub quizzes? And how are his parenting skills? Could he get the kids to bed without them crying? Could he train your dog to not jump up on you the man in the waistcoat hats off salutes to you let's all try to be a gareth tornando a casa sta tornando a casa il calcio sta tornando a casa sta tornando a casa sta tornando a casa il calcio sta tornando a casa di carne rotolo di salsiccia that's almost it from me so keep coming cauliflower cheese this has been the england versus italy euro final special a meat pie sausage roll come on england give us a goal special uh so i'm across audio all the audio platforms uh apple uh, pandora tune in iHeartRadio, all of those and then there's a musical playlist on spotify a Butler Edition Musical Emporium. Some Ashford and Simpson, some Supergrass, World in Motion, Billy Joel, Vindaloo, Cooler Shaker, The Beatles, Carly Simon, Gene Wilder even, and a bit of Black Grape, Frank Sinatra, and some Yacht Rock to finish. A perfect soundtrack for the football weekend. God willing, I will be having a little uh, podcast edition with my darling daughters, before I introduce them to the British Bulldog this weekend, which uh, may change their lives for the better or possibly the worse. Who knows? But let's hope they'll be singing, It's Coming Home, It's Coming Home, Football's Coming Home. So it's a short poem by Joyce Hemsley, reflecting the 55 years since England were last in a major football final. 
Red wine filled the goblets, salad filled the bowls, flowers adorned the tables, acknowledging the winning goal. Joyous laughter everywhere, joyous laughter everywhere. Happiness lifted each soul when Germany played England, a day of excitement to remember as England stole the leading role. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Fingers and everything else crossed this weekend. These last few weeks have given people a lots of joy during the last 18 or 19 months of misery and uh, solitude in some people's cases. So if you pouring yourself a cup of tea, dunk the digesters in. You know what? I might be dunking my sausage roll in the pint as part of the celebration. For now, it's Chappie out. Cheerio.